4: The deal is this, I was talking to you about bowling just off in an offhanded manner, it just popped up, and seemed to get a lot of response, but uh, th- there was a guy who was out there on his way to work listening, his name's Mike Morin, who happens to be uh, a, a super bowling expert, and he has actually written a book, Lunch with Tommy and Stasia, the TV's Golden Age of Candlepin Bowling, and you'll find out who Tommy and Stasia are in a minute if you don't know. But, folks, please welcome Mike Morin. How are you?
3: Thank you very much. Doing well. Thanks for having me. And uh, I enjoyed that segment as I drove into work one morning, and I thought, I have a feeling your listeners might like to hear a little bit more about bowling. Was I right?
4: Yes. So you probably (laughs) noticed that uh, Mike has a very professional sound. He'll probably talk more than the average guest because he is a broadcaster. Tell me about, well, there's a confluence of... The first person who gave you a radio job was also the person that turned you on to bowling? Was uh, that something like that?
3: Close. Uh, growing up in Detroit, my first inspiration to be in radio and get interested in bowling uh, on TV shows, same guy by the name of Fred Wolf. He did a morning show in Detroit where I grew up. He hosted a national bowling show on Sunday. I loved everything about both of his endeavors, and somehow I, I ended up doing it. Well, you ended up doing both. Yeah.
4: Now, you're from Detroit. You yes. initially had never seen candle pins, correct?
3: I freaked out when I got here in 1984. Went to work at WZOU, the former COZ. And when I was in interviewing for the job and getting ready to find a place to live, they had me up at the Royal Sinesta in Boston, in Cambridge. And I put on the TV in the hotel room. This is 1984. It's about 1230. And I look and I see the freakiest thing, candle pins. I was used to, you know, big ball bowling, which most of the country knows. So I was fascinated by it. I moved here. Once I got uh, all settled, I joined a league, and uh, since then, I've been a fan. How, so
4: there, there are no candle pins
3: outside of where? Just New England or Mostly New in New York? New England, but there are a few scattered in other places around the country, like near Cincinnati for some reason. Pockets of candle pins? Can, Pockets of y- y- if pocket's even the right word, I'm not sure it is. It, it might be one, smaller one than that. one Yeah, well, there'll be maybe four or five or six lanes or whatever. Uh, and then there's a few other places around the country. I think Florida would be a terrific place to try to get the game grown because of all the snowbirds from New England that know the game that don't get to bowl it.
4: Have you ever thought about that as, an, as a thing? To, to restart, well, to, to have this empire of candlepin bowling down in Florida?
3: W- well, I've, I've thought about it, but I also thought, well, I don't have any money to do that, right. so I'm not going to be the guy starting it. I'm just giving <laughs> them the idea
4: okay where where did candlepins come from did did we invent them or did they come from england with
3: with puritans just down the turnpike worcester mass 1880 is where the game began
4: and any idea why candle pins were candlepins the
3: first no and, uh, actually bowling goes back to egyptian times and then germany was very popular there it came to this country midwest very very popular and then a couple guys in worcester thought they'd try something different and tried uh, using broomsticks and other things and really played with the game, finessed it, and after about five, 10 years, started getting a following.
4: Why the, what are the advantages? What, why did they choose this new design, the candle pin? What was wrong with the
3: old? pins? You know, I don't know. I mean, we're, again, we're talking 1880. I don't know what was going through their, their minds, but I think sometimes people just like to try different things, and they did, and it turned out to be a big success, but it never really went much beyond the New England area.
4: Okay, you got here in 84. Where did you bowl?
3: I bowled at the Acton Bowlerdrome, my first uh, bowling league, and then I bowled in a traveling tournament of amateur bowlers and eventually made a lot of connections with people in the bowling business, did a television show for. Nine years.
4: Did you get really... Backing up. Okay. Uh, how long did it take you to master the new format, the candle pin?
3: <laughs> master is a word that nobody in candle pin bowling has ever or will ever do. Just because there's never been a perfect game and probably never will be. Uh, was I a good bowler? I was a little bit above average, but not nearly as good as the professionals that I wrote about in the book.
4: What, what is a really high score? Not an insane high score, but a normal person high score
3: uh if, well, well so uh, what
4: are your high scores
3: well my high score uh was 157 which is not that impressive uh but uh, but there's a lot of people that haven't never bowled that high but oh. a, a professional bowler will get into the 200s from time to time wow
4: i myself uh bowled in a league in high school well it was not a high school league it was a rochester new hampshire league at a lane, lanes you know about. What was the name of the lanes again?
3: Uh, it was the uh, bowling. Rollaway. Bowling, yes. right in Rochester. Do you, even know, you know the guy who owned it, Royal. Well I, well, I don't think he's still with us. Royal Edgley Senior, and then his son Junior ran it for a while. I don't think it's there anymore.
4: There's a particular, well, there are certain sounds and smells to the to the bowling alley, <laughs> right? There's the smell of a lot of candy from the candy machines mm-hmm. and the and the spray from the in the shoes and everything. The sounds. Next. Uh, can you kind of give me an idea of how many bowling candlepin alleys are gone and and some that are left? Name some great ones that are gone and sure. name some great ones that <clears throat> that exist.
3: Well, I uh, I did some quick checking because I I had a feeling you might ask me that question. There are roughly, well, here's the here's the short version then I'll give you the more expanded version. There are officially 66 members of the international candlepin bowling association those are bowling centers that can uh, that actually conform to certain standards and things that if you have a high score it can be validated okay. and go into the record books yeah. however you can go to a, a senior housing community in in shrewsbury and find a couple bowling alleys there's a unitarian church in uxbridge that I went to recently that has four lanes. They don't even have machines and they have the original wooden pins. There are yacht clubs, there are places all over New England that just have sort of informal bowling centers.
4: They have, if no machines, they have kids, they hire as pin setters? Yeah,
3: I got to set my own pins there and it was so cool because I never thought I'd get to do that and use the original wooden pins.
4: I remember not too long ago, there was there were a couple lanes in Walpole. Folks, I'm gonna go ahead and invite you to call if you want. 617-254-1030. two five four ten thirty. I'm kind of looking for uh, existing candlepin bowling alleys because I think it might be fun to go bowling. Are you aware of one in your community? I know there's one in South Boston. I don't know the name. I walked by. I should have gone in. There was one in Walpole, and I, I remember doing the Walpole one. Just uh, four lanes, maybe something very small, no more than that. It's really fun. The, and uh, you know, as as an old guy, I like the small balls because it's just the, the big ones. It's just I'm sure it would blow an O-ring, trying to throw those big balls. Now, the, uh, there are not a lot of bowling books, right, especially candlepin bowling books. There
3: are not many, This no. is the
4: first one since 1980?
3: That is correct, yes. And the book that was written back then sort of was the Bible and, and still is in circulation. It wasn't all that well organized, but it had a lot of cool stories, and I borrowed a few.
4: All right. So again, this is Lunch with Tommy and Stasia, TV's Golden Age of Candlepin Bowling. Now, who's to- who are Tommy and Stasia?
3: All right, in my opinion, and again, this is one of those who's the goat, as it were, uh, Tom Olsa is the, the best male bowler ever. I, I don't think many people would argue that. And Stasia Zernicki was really the, the first female bowler that really struck it big on Channel 5 when that show began. Well, it actually was not on Channel 5 originally, uh, but she was the queen and she was the most wonderfully polite and competitively fierce woman boulder the best ever
4: and the name is lunch with tommy and stasia when why is that During the time of day and there's a saying hold on to your trade
3: tables yes you got it that's it don gillis okay that was his uh his standard slogan and All so right. lunch was the time the show was on at noon for 38 years on channel five People would have their tray tables, their grilled cheese sandwiches, their tomato soup, and they would sit down and watch Don Gillis and Stacia or whoever would be bowling.
4: Was that a thing, tomato soup and cheese sandwiches? Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. That it was associated with bowling. Yes, it was. Uh, were they sponsors or anything? No,
3: no. It was just what pe- was just people what would have. Did. It was a New England thing that you did. And if anybody calls, they will confirm that. I want, you're making
4: me want that right now. There's <laughs> a really cool book with a great cover, Lunch with Tommy and Stacia. How do you say Tommy's name, Ulster. Ulsta, yes. TV's golden age of candle pin bowling. And many of you out there will remember seeing bowling on TV. When did bowling come to TV? 1958. That is early on.
3: It was, and it was an instant success. I don't think anybody thought that would be the case. But suddenly you had these people that were amazing bowlers, and the average, everyday Joe said, wow. I can do that. It's impressive. I can do that. But they can't. <laughs> right. Because they're that good.
4: It's it's actually kind of exciting. You wouldn't think it is, but it kind of is. You almost are applying English just like, the, you know, trying to get that ball over there to hit that 7-10 split, even at home.
3: Well, you can make, yeah, exactly, yeah. You And you can make the 7-10 split in candle pins, which you typically cannot in 10-pin. I mean, yes, it can be made, but you get to play the wood. The pins that are f- felled stay on the deck, they and you count. get to use them on bank shots. And they you count. can make the seven time. By the
4: way, if the ball goes in the gutter, is it dead? Yes. If it pops out and hits a pin, it doesn't count, right?
3: doesn't count. You have to subtract the, the number of pins from whatever you got for that box.
4: What, while I'm thinking of it, what's the best bowling movie ever?
3: Oh, boy. Uh, there aren't that many of them. There was one called <laughs> Dreamer, and then, of course, you mentioned the, the Big Lebowski. The Big
4: Lebowski, but there was one other one with, uh, oh, God. The, uh, the In Pennsylvania, the Big Urn. Oh, somebody help me out with that. 617-254-1030. Okay, now, uh, Don Gillis. Talk
3: more about Don Gillis. Don Gillis uh, was a tremendously successful sportscaster on Channel 5. They came to him and said, we would like you to take over the Candlepin Bowling Show. It had been done by somebody else for a couple of years, and he did, and he was instantly successful at it. Uh, But Don Gillis, uh, he started on Channel 5, his first sports cast as an anchor, the same night that Johnny Carson began in 1962. Same night, one of the weird trivia bits there. So
4: the Don Gillis show was Candlepin Bowling, not Candlepins for Cash?
3: No, see, a lot of people think it was called Candlepins for Cash because it's such a great name for a show, yeah. it was just called Candlepin Bowling. So, so there, was, it.
4: there weren't two different shows, there was just the it, one it show? It was two
3: different shows. Okay. Candlepins for Cash was really a game show with bowling being the vehicle to win stuff. Okay. Candlepin bowling was for the professionals and it took several qualifying steps just to get on TV okay. and it was hard. How much were the prizes? What were the purses? Oh gosh, uh, when the show went off the air in the mid 90s, I think the the winner got $700 and the runner up got 350, but there was lots of different ways that you could earn bonus money. If you uh if you threw say a 500 triple, you might win an extra 400 triple, you get an extra hundred dollars or something and that's hard to do too.
4: That was a lot back then. Yeah. Having that on TV must have inspired people to go out bowling. It must have been good for the industry.
3: It was it was free advertising every week and when the show went off the air at the Channel 5 show in 1996 nobody could understand why the bowling association didn't get together and actually keep it on the air air. because Channel 5 said that we're done it's all done. Sure, they're just going to
4: bought the time and put it on. Exactly.
3: They should have.
4: Okay, uh, we have George in Taunton. First, George in Taunton. Say hello to Mike Martin. Hi. 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 First time, long time. Okay, good. I just wanted to mention Walpole. When you said
0: that, uh, my dad was a league bowler in Walpole for many years, and he was lucky enough to play his, Best friend in competition on the Don Gillis show twice. Wow. That's and uh, the, the, one of the bowling alleys you might be thinking of is Patraca's in Walpole or Highway Bowl Away in Walpole.
4: So they have, well, that's a big town. They have two bowling places. Are, there, are the alleys still there? No, neither
0: one are there. One's a dealership and one's a restaurant.
4: Yeah, I know the one that, I, I, that's where I was at the one that became the restaurant, I believe
3: but I'll bet you know yes. who, who else bowled regularly at the Lanes and Walpole, former Red Sox Who's manager, that? Joe Morgan. He, he did? He's oh, absolutely. A, he's a massive yes. Canterpin bowling fan. Loves it almost as much as baseball.
4: Wow.
5: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And a nice guy, too. Very friendly person when he was
3: bowling.
4: Hey, George, great call. Good job. Now that you've uh, got the first one out of the way, I hope you feel comfortable in calling again. I will. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Now it's Steve in in East Boston. What's up, Steve? Say hi to Mike.
3: Hey, Hey Mike. How you doing? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. So how can we help
0: you? Hey, I bowl out of uh, Central Park Lanes in East Boston. I'm on a bowling league that's 62 years old. It's the Joe Garino St. Joseph St. Lazarus Bowling League.
4: So the uh, Central Park bowling alleys are still there? Yes, sir. And you're still in the league? Yes, I am. I'm in the league now probably
0: 10, 11 years. What's the name of your team? Uh, We don't have team names. It goes by the team captains. So I'm the team captain. It's just my team.
4: Oh, see, back in the day, we (laughs) we used to have sponsors and everything.
0: Yeah, not anymore.
3: Steve, you probably know that uh, some of the best jackpot and purse matches took place years ago at Central Park Lanes. Chucky Vazella, of course, and his family and a lot of bowlers would throw a lot of money down and take on the bowlers from Lynn, and it got down and dirty, and uh, and there'd be thousands of dollars on the table before it was all said and done. Chucky's still there. Yep, sure he is.
4: No kidding. Sure. So do you, is, is your sense that the, the lanes are as full as always? Or are they empty? Is bowling fading away, or is it resurging, um, staying the same?
0: You, you know, league bowling has is, is kind of come a long way, I think, in the last – I've been bowling since 96, uh, between Woburn Bowler Drome and Central Park Lanes. And the leagues seem to be picking up in both mixed leagues in the summer and then we bowl in the winter league on Thursday nights as a strictly a men's league. And this is the strongest year we've had in the last 10 years as far as teams is concerned.
4: There's no real um, organization that promotes bowling, though. There should be. Well,
3: actually, actually there is. It's the International Cannappin Bowling Association. They didn't,
4: they're not very good because they never heard of them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not on your radar. But anybody that's into bowling understands that uh, they're the uh, the governing body of these uh, the states of uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire— uh, Maine and uh, the Canadian provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, although I don't believe they're members any longer, but they set the rules, they set the standards. You know, everything's got to be standard, otherwise you can't have records. Right.
4: I just, knowing the millennial crew as I do, I and this is, of course, a broad generalization, but they're into things like throwing axes, into that kind of activity. Yes. <laughs> throwing axes, darts is a big thing. Mm-hmm. I would think bowling would be a thing. Uh, you know, I don't know why it's not... And I'm feel... starting
0: to see it grow. I, I've got uh, four uh, younger boys. I have a my 20 year old and my 16 year old, both in the league, and my 17 year old bowls with me in the summer league. So, generation generationally, it's definitely branching out to younger, you know, younger generation. I mean, I'm in my late 40s, so I've been around it all my life. But and, uh, I'm seeing Steve... a lot of.
3: Steve, you bowl at a bowling center that's that's old school. If you walked in there, it doesn't look much different than it does in 1950 when it opened. But there are bowling centers now that are offering paintball, movies, high-end food. Uh, and and it, it looks like you're in a Las Vegas casino in some places. And in many cases, that's the direction that the uh, the game is going for people that have the money to, to bring in some of the younger people, Bradley, that you mentioned. Hey,
4: Steve, how much is a string of bowling now? Like, Are, are going out... And bowling's a couple of strings. Give me an idea of the cost now. Is it,
0: is it? I know locally in East Boston, I think it's about three bucks a string. Shoes is around two dollars. See, that's um,
3: really
4: good. I'm surprised it still is reasonable.
3: Is that? Um, it, it's a little bit more in a lot of places, but uh, I'm going to yes. guess that Central Park Lanes is probably paid for, and maybe their overhead isn't quite as high, so they can probably afford to keep it at three dollars. Great cost.
4: Sorry.
0: $30 an hour in some places for Candlepin. I think up in Woburn. Yeah, they have hourly in rates range.
3: in some places. Per person? Uh, yep. uh, yes. That's
4: too much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve, we're out of time for you. Uh, we, got, we have to break. Have a great call again. Thanks, Steve. Gee, I wish it weren't so much. 30 bucks an hour. Hey, we'll
3: continue <laughs> on WBZ. <laughs>
2: More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at
3: LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older.
4: Author of this cool book about bowling in, in New England, lunch with Tommy and Stasia, the TV's golden age of candle pin bowling. A Little later, we're going to do it. Uh, Mike's going to talk about. He he brought two pins in, a plastic one and a wooden one. And you'll say, "Hey, it's radio. Who cares?" And I'll tell you, <laughs> but I'll tell you what I'll do. I will once he starts talking about that Facebook Live. So you, if you're not signed up with me for Facebook Live, we'll. If you don't follow me, do that right now. That'll give you about ten minutes to do that. So we have a whole bunch of callers, folks. So I guess that's kind of how things are gonna go. But since there's so many callers that we're gonna be brief, each call will be brief. So first it's Mike and Franklin. Say hold up, Mike in the studio.
3: Hi Mike. Mike hey, Frank hey, hey, Bradley. Up? Yeah. Hey, uh, the movie you were thinking of, Bradley, was
5: Kingpin. Kingpin, with, uh, Bill Murray. And uh Woody Harrelson. That's right. Um, That's right. The, uh, I grew up uh, in Franklin. They had a great bowling alley there. It just closed about five or six years ago. Ficos. They had, uh, like like 25 lanes. And I remember as a kid on Saturday mornings in a league, it was, uh, three strings and shoes for a buck and a quarter.
3: Wow. That's good stuff. You're talking the sixties probably.
5: Uh, it was like the seventies. I'm I'm not that old. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But, but, uh, Unfortunately, it closed out of nowhere, and uh, but there's still a couple more around there. There's uh, Ryan Amusement over in Millis, I think. Yep. Good and, place. Great place. Uh, the, yeah, and then there's another big place like you were talking about with all the bells and whistles and, you know, food and everything, uh, Pins over in Milford. So uh, there's still a few more kicking around, but uh, when Pico's closed, that was kind of a, you know, kind of a surprise because that place has been around, I think, since the late 30s. Huh.
4: Well, thank you very much. I got a lot of folks yeah. here, so I'm going to move on. But Mike, check in anytime. Okay, man. By the way, if anyone would know this, you would. You may not. Why do they call them pins?
3: You're right. I don't know that
4: pins. I, it's one of those words. Well, take, t- kind of take it for granted. Well,
3: candle pins do look like pins when you think of like like a straight pin, but the ten pin pins that are kind of shapely don't look like yeah. pins.
4: Yeah, I'd like to know the uh, the origin of that, but that's I guess for another day. Fred and Needham. Hello, Fred. Hello. What's up?
6: I'm a fan of candlepin bowling. Never was very good at it, but I do like to collect statistics based on the game, primarily from a lot of the 2 bowler or three-string format programs, like uh, candle, uh, candle pin bowling. What I've been able to dig up from candlepin stars and strikes from both the uh, Mike Moore and Dick Lutz era and the Dan Murphy, Doug Brown era and whatever I can dig up from big shot bowling. If I can dig up Dates uh, from the programs, I can. Uh, I, I like to try to dig them up.
4: Well, good. I, Do you have any spectacular stats that you can wow us with?
6: Well, the highest for like Channel Five was uh, Paul Berger's uh, five hundred. As far as three string go, and as far as uh, the candlepin stars and strikes went, Chris Sargent had a four hundred and ninety-seven. <laughs> I, rec- I remember so you're like
4: you're the bowling rain man you know you <laughs> you know everything about it
6: I do I try I'm I try my best
4: That's so cool Fred thank you very much now it's Scott and Weymouth as I told you it's, it got all busy Scott
5: yeah how's it going
4: very well Scott say hi to Mike. Mike how's it going
3: Good hey. hi Scott.
5: Yeah, um, Mike um, Mike and I have met it before uh, in the past. We talked a little bit about his book, and I I finally had a chance to read through it all, and I really love it. So if, if you're you. interested in Candlepin Blown, it's a great book to
3: read. Well, it was fun uh, just interviewing probably 75 to 100 people who are all pretty big stars, and they gave me the story behind the story. So what I tried to do with Lunch with Tommy and Stacia is put stuff in there that people didn't know. They watched the shows, but they didn't know what happened when the lights were off. And that was a, a big part of what I tried to uh, to do.
5: Well, it was a really cool book. And and I grew up bowling in Sammy White's, which is where they taped a lot of the Channel 5 shows uh. for, for many years. And um, my mom and her friends would bowl in a Thursday morning league, and we'd end up in the uh, pool room down at the end by lane 48 and all hanging out there with uh, Mrs. Rubino watching us. This is This is going back into the 70s. <laughs> And there was a couple of times that I remember my mom taking me down to a Channel 5 taping in Sammy White's. And, and I remember, you know we used to walk in for leagues on Saturday mornings and it just looked like a typical bowling alley. But the days that they were taping, it was like when they turned on those lights, it was like they opened up the roof and the sun was streaming in because the old video was so bad and they just had to light the whole place up. And it was just just such a different place when they were doing it. So it's really cool watching those guys bowl and seeing all the stuff there. So
4: Great call, Scott. Thank you. Tell Thanks, me, man. Mike, tell me about Sammy
3: White's. Sammy White's Brighton Bowl was the home of the Channel 5 show for many years, and I think a lot of people that are from around here uh, are aware of the fact that there was a horrible uh, murder that happened there, and things were never the same. I think it was maybe 1981 or so. Uh, it involved an employee, and I think a couple of people lost their lives, and shortly after that, the— Show eventually moved on to uh, a bowling center in uh, Needham on Route 9, Fairway, Fairway Lanes.
4: Wow. All right. Let's talk to – oh, by the way, before we take a call, there's a guy named Scott Moore. Yes. Tell me about him.
3: Scott Moore is – I call him the, uh, the Bullmore Whisperer. He takes care of the machines. He's one of just a handful of people because they don't make those machines anymore. I mean, some of them are 60 years old. And there aren't parts to be found. Sometimes they have to forge their own or, or, or ravage other places, machines that have been broken down or are out of service. So he travels around to a lot of different bowling centers, and he takes care of the machines and keeps them going. They're amazingly reliable when they're well cared for. So he's just very well known. His son, Cam, is kind of taking up in his footsteps because when the mechanics are gone and those machines break down, that's not going to be good for the game.
4: Is there basically one maker of all those machines?
3: Uh, again, I, I'm not really terribly well-versed in that, but there were a couple of companies that that made them. Bullmore was one. Uh, I believe AMF uh, made some for a while. Brunswick, earlier right.
4: on. I w- I've always been fascinated and impressed by the whole pin resetting machine, how the ball comes back down the thing. <laughs> I kind of love that. Next up is Aaron in Brookfield, North Brookfield. Hello, Aaron. How's it going,
0: guys? Good. Hi, Aaron. Uh, guys, how's it going, Mike?
3: Very good. Is this what's up, Aaron Olsta?
0: You mean Fontaine? Fontaine. <laughs> I'm
3: sorry. Yes, uh, this is. Okay. I, I believe this is the grandson of the great Tom Ulster. Oh, that's great! And a uh, terrific bowler. The the genetics got passed uh, on. Does he look like Tom? Um, Tom's on the cover of the book. Well, he's pretty handsome, so I guess you might say that. Well, thanks for checking in. <laughs>
4: i figured i'd call just considering you
0: know he's on the cover of the book and yeah um it's just an honor to you know read something to be a part of history i know i'm in the book but i don't feel like i'm the star of the book because my grandfather's the one that really made it all happen and it's not just him it's everyone that has been associated with the game for all the all the years of you know the existence of canton ball back since it began and you know it's just so hard to believe all these years later people are still talking about i've been bowling for 20 years now and it's. So hard to believe the greatest of all time is the one I've had the privilege of learning from. It's just, it's been an experience I'll never forget, and I can, I want to try to give it to my
4: kids one day. Cool. Hey, uh, are you any good? Oh, he is. <laughs> he's good. I'll say it
3: for so right me.
0: He, right now on Wednesday, I'm averaging 119. That's really good.
3: Hey, Aaron. Right this- Aaron, did you did you learn anything about your grandfather reading the book that you didn't know prior? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough.
4: <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you checking in, Aaron. You know, that's great stuff. We have time for one more call before the break. I guess Harold in Hanover. How you doing, Harold?
1: Hey. hey, How you doing, Jay? Hey, thank you for writing the book. Sure. My I pleasure. Well-deserved, you know, and uh, it's maybe helping to keep the game alive, which is a great game.
3: You still, yeah. Do you still
4: bold, Harold? Bowl?
1: I do, uh... I have a little bit of history with early bowling when I was a little tiny kind of kid uh, in uh, Walpole. You mentioned the uh, it was Walpole Bowlaway, which is now an Acura dealer. But my uh, best friend at that time, his father built it, so I used to work there at, when they were building it. And then I moved to Norwood, and the I believe it was the first ten pin lanes in the state. Uh, my father's friend Frank Cadusi, oh, it's, I think it's Cloverleaf Lanes. On Route One. I believe it was the first 10 pin, unless the Boston Bowl was first. This was a long time ago, but uh, that's gone. Now I think there's more candle pin than there were 10 pin. Uh, For a while there, it was kind of the the reverse. Yeah. Wow. And I wonder if you would, do you know any Do you follow at all any of the other obscure bowling, like uh, duck pins or rubber band duck pins?
3: Uh, a little bit. Uh, there's not much duck pins up in this area. There's a place in Chelmsford. There's a place in Billerica, and But most of it's in the Middle Atlantic region, a little bit in Rhode Island, Virginia, stuff like that. So it's a fun game. It's a nice Washington hybrid between 10-pin and-, and candle pin.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see a little more of that around here because it's a lot of fun because the pins go nuts. I mean, they fly like crazy around. I think you keep the pins on the uh, – you can use the pins – falling down just like candlepins, i believe uh,
3: no the, there's a sweep that takes them off you have to you have oh, they to do oh, all yeah.
1: both both types okay and my last thing was um you mentioned candlepins for cash can you talk a little bit about the uh i'm not sure <laughs> the inim- inimitable legend of bob Gamere? no
4: that's kind no? of like yeah we just we only have an hour so we're going to keep focused uh, keep oh, on the, just, on the track. He, we're he on.
1: is uh, all right, maybe, but he's a story unto himself, and I hope right. he's doing all that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's
3: in the book. You can read a little bit about it there.
4: I want to. I have one question before we go to Brendan and Milbury. Is it just uh, is it just me, or am I seeing a lot of Eastern European last names? Is that a, is that a coincidence?
3: Uh, no, that's actually a good observation. I think more so back in the fifties than there are now. But uh, Stasia Zernicky, of course, the uh, the Stasia, the big star. And uh, both she and Tommy Ulster from the same area, the Sturbridge um, area, for the mo- Webster, and there was a lot of Polish American people in that area, and they really took to the game. And so you're right. And they tend to be really well excel. At least the names of the top people seem. Yep. To,
4: I wonder if bowling was a thing, oh, in Eastern Europe.
3: Uh, well, certainly Candlepin was not at that time, yeah. but, uh, but I think bowling, more traditional known as tenpin bowling, which was very big in Germany, there might've been some, okay. some Eastern European interest. Cool.
4: Okay. Uh, now it's Brendan and Milbury. Hi, Brendan. Say hi to Mike Morin, who hey, is Brendan. the author of our book.
0: Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I know you guys are a bit short on time, so I'll keep it short and sweet, but uh, basically I just wanted to make people aware that there are plenty of new shows that are still being produced. Uh, people that used to watch the, the channel five shows, uh, there still are new Channel shows being made. Really? Can watch online on YouTube. Cable.
3: Yeah. Oh, Internet.
4: Give, me, give me a couple names to look up.
0: Uh, sure. The main one and one, I'm a little partial to since I was actually on it is, uh, called King of the palace and that's up in Pittsburgh. And, uh, there's also a kids show. Um, there's uh, plenty of shows that are still being made. If you want to watch Candlepin bowling nowadays,
4: all right, beautiful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brendan. Okay. Thanks. Now, uh, Mike's brought in a couple candlepins, one one old school and one new school, and he's going to he's a broadcast professional, so he's going <laughs> to use the the magic of words to describe it. But I'm also going. I'm starting right now to Facebook Live. This what you're seeing on Facebook Live is my guest. Uh, Mike Moran on WBZ, he's holding up, folks, a couple of candle pins. They look kind of similar, but they're in fact not. Tell me about the difference between the new and the old.
3: All right, so the one that you see on the right is the old one. It's a Brunswick wooden pin with uh, vinyl or plastic caps. And the one on the left is uh, is a one-piece plastic-injected molded pin That's how they use them now. That's how they make them. They made the switch over in the late 50s and into the early 60s from wooden to plastic. The problem with the wooden pins is they would splinter. They would would really mess up the automatic pin setters. And the plastic pins lasted much longer. You didn't have to replace them as often. When they went from wood to plastic, the bowlers at the time were not very happy about that because they were very traditional with their game. They wanted it to be wood. However, everybody's averages went up. Guess what? They stopped complaining. Plastic is now what everybody's using.
4: Score inflation, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we go to Bill in South Boston. Hi, hey, Bill. how's it going, How you guys, good?
3: tonight? Hey, Bill. Here's an
1: interesting story for you. A Bowling Alley in Brighton, I don't know if it was candle, or cash, or one of those shows, but a guy executed four people in there, and um, I think it was a disgruntled worker. And, uh, but he went to Walpole for executing the four people. I don't know if they were co-workers or guests there. But uh, he executed four of them, and then he went and killed a taxi dispatcher. Do you remember that story
4: in the yeah, 80s we, or 90s? We, we actually talked about it a yeah. little earlier, but thanks for, for uh, giving more detail on there. We have uh, about six minutes, five minutes, if anybody wants to squeeze in. I have a bunch of questions as well. I haven't really gotten to. Can you cheat in bowling?
3: Uh, Is there a way
4: to cheat in any, any way? Well, you know,
3: I, I guess you could. Yeah, well, it's a little harder now because there's automatic scoring and there's electronic scoring. And uh, even in some cases, though, you still have to manually input the number of pins you got. But now the more advanced versions will actually, like 10-pin bowling, uh, count how many pins you got and put it up on the scoreboard. Back in the day, and still a lot of places do have paper sheets, it's real easy to cheat that way.
4: Uh, of course, you can go over the line. But oh, uh,
3: okay. That's true. Uh, over the foul line. Yeah. Or there's something called a lob line. Oh, yeah. And if the ball doesn't hit the lane uh, before it gets to the line, it's not supposed to be counted. But a lot of people are ignoring that rule these really? days. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you Why would you want well, to lob it? Y- w- y- y- that's, a, that's the perfect question because it does not help your game to throw the ball as far down as you can. <laughs> you want it to start rolling immediately to get a lot better action on it.
4: Action, okay. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to another way I thought maybe there's cheating. The spitball is cheating in, in, <laughs> right. in uh, baseball. Right. Is this, this is the equivalent in... Is this the spitball in bowling?
3: No, there, there isn't anything like that, but, but people can actually... Uh, add weight to their ball by put some lead in it or get a bowling ball. That's a little bit bigger, but they have ways of checking that. If anybody is suspected of, of cheating, they'll, they'll ask for the ball. I've heard ve- I've seen very little bit of Can that. Can you
4: spray stuff on your ball? It's, it's like wax to make it have better action. Um,
3: not that I'm aware of. No, but and you're going to try that now, aren't you? Yeah. Thanks for the idea, Bradley. Sure.
4: Now it's Mike and Littleton. Hi, Mike.
5: Hey gentlemen. Uh- Good evening, hey, uh, Mike. Mike, is, are you familiar with the Bowling Alley in Hobbin Mass, on Route One Hundred and Ten? I believe
3: I am. I've not bowled there, but I'm oh, I'm aware of it. Yes.
5: What can you, you have? You never been in there? Or I anything? have not.
3: No, I did all my bowling pretty much in acting just up the road from there.
5: Okay. And real quick, you DJ'd my buddy's wedding back <laughs> in ninety six. You still doing that?
3: No, I am not.
5: It was a great time. Oh. You you rock, man. You rock.
3: Well, thank you for the right money. I can come out of uh, retirement for you. Thanks, there Mike. You go. All right, thank you. Bye. Good call, Mike.
4: In the book, you mentioned some celebrity candlepin bowlers. Yes. Can, can you uh, refresh my memory and tell the folks?
3: A lot of athletes, when they came to town, uh, like uh, to play the Red Sox, and they you have a lot of downtime when you're on the road. They would uh, frequently go to fairways in uh, Natick. In I think I said Needham earlier. I misspoke that it was in Natick. It's not there anymore. Uh, people like Shaquille O'Neal uh, uh, was was seen in there one time. Will Ferrell bowled at the uh, Needham Bowl away on Route 9. And uh, there's a great story in the, in the book about that, uh, about he, he showed up and nobody acknowledged him because the rules of the ownership were you are not to ever Bother celebrities, let them bowl and just be like anybody right. else. And Will Ferrell seemed a bit perplexed that nobody said, hey, aren't you Will Ferrell? And he was. it was just kind of an odd and awkward. It's a funny story. Uh, Liz Moore, who was dealing with it at the time, uh, had some really great observations about that.
4: I understand Homer Simpson is a fan of Candlepin. Oh, my pin.
3: God. Yeah. Um, Matt uh, uh, Salmon, is that his name? Groaning, Groening? Groening, Groening, Groening uh, well, no, Matt said. Groening was the, was the creator, but uh, one of the producers I had a chance to talk to, they did an episode called The Town uh, a couple of years ago, and it was an episode about Boston, and they did about two or three minutes on Candlepin bowling, uh, and the reason Homer liked Candlepin bowling is because you get three balls. Uh-huh. He, he was willing to hate it. He hated Boston, but when he found out that Camelton Bowling was three balls, oh, I love Boston now. Matt Selman? Matt Selman, yes, thank the pr- you. The producer. Yes, he was hey, from uh, Watertown originally, so he uh, had a lot of reality and realism to the artwork on that particular episode. Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain uh, did an episode for uh, his, his food show, and uh, bowled out in, I'm not sure the name of the bowling center, out in Western Mass. It was kind of a sociological study on, on some of the difficulties that those, those communities that are having a lot of poverty and a lot of drug issues. So he focused on that a little bit. But he also did some bowling. And you know what? He wasn't bad.
4: Uh, in, in other sports, people are getting better and better and better. Runners run faster. Right. Hitter, hitters hit further. Are bowlers getting better or is there a flat line that you can't really?
3: That's a really, really good question. I think it's kind of on a flat line. But again, we have so few number of fewer bowlers now than we did back then as far as professionals. It's tough to say if today's younger bowlers could ever have surpassed some of the records that were set by the people that came before them. The Tommy Olstas, the Gary Carringtons, the Joe Ashlines.
4: I only have 30 seconds, so I guess a yes or no. Do you ever smash your finger? Like, you know, have your finger between the ball and the lane. Uh, get careless. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my
3: God. I have, but mostly on the ball return, picking it up when the, the ball is coming back, <laughs> Hit your fingers.
4: Thank you very much. What a great uh, time. Mike Morin, the book. And if you're a bowler, you got to get it. Thank Lunch you. Lunch with Tommy and Stasia, TV's Golden Age of Candlepin
2: Bowling. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly
5: beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom?